0: chapter nine of six feet four by jackson gregory this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter nine the double theft after that there were no more uncomfortable silences in the hart cabin thornton found a lamp lighted it and placed it on the table and with the act he seemed to take upon himself the part of host playing it with a quiet courtesy and gentleness fitting well with the unconscious grace of his lithe body and with the kindliness softening his dark eyes he told her of his ranch of the cowboys working for him of the cattle they were running of little incidents of everyday life on the range seeking to make her forget that in reality they were strangers very unconventionally placed and he did not once ask her a direct question about herself or concerning her business that she was quick to notice for an hour they chatted pleasantly now when thornton got to his feet again and went to the door to see what promise the night gave of being cloudless and to note the moon already pushing up above the jagged skyline where the trees stood upon the hilltops she watched him with an interest that was not tinged with the vague suspicion of an hour ago. She saw that as he stood lounging in the doorway, his hands upon his hips, one shoulder against the rude door jamb, he had to stoop his head a little, and knew that he was a taller, bigger man than she had realized until now. "'If I were as big as you are,' she laughed at him, I'd be in constant fear of bumping my head in the dark." He laughed with her, told her that he was getting used to it, and came back for his hat. "'If you'll be getting ready,' he told her, "'I'll go out and bring in the horses, if you're rested up.'" She assured him that she was, noted again how he stooped for the doorway and watched him move swiftly away through the shadows cast by the trees about the cabin. She put on her hat, buckled on the spurs she had dropped on the table, and was ready. Then before he could have gone half way to the barn she heard swift steps coming back. He had forgotten something, but what? She looked about her expecting to see his tobacco sack or some such article a block of matches maybe which he had left behind but there was nothing she lifted the lamp in her hand so that the weak rays searched out the four corners of the cabin then she turned again toward the door out yonder through the clear night came on the tall figure with the long free stride of the man of the outdoors in a patch of bright moonlight his head was down as though his mood were one of thoughtfulness and the shadow of his wide hat hid his face and eyes from her in the black shade under the live oak before hart's door he lifted his head quickly here he came for an instant to a dead halt half turning it struck her abruptly that he was tense that the atmosphere was suddenly charged with uneasiness that he was listening as a man listens who more than half expects trouble. "'What is it?' she called. She could not make out more than the vague outline of his figure now, as he stood still, his body seeming to merge into the great trunk of the tree. He did not answer. Again, head down and hurriedly, he came on on through the thinning fringe of shadow and into the full bright moonlight a sudden formless fear which in no way could she explain was upon her his actions were so strange they hinted at furtiveness he had been so outright and hearty and wholesome a moment ago and now struck her as anything but the big free-and-easy man who had supped with her she drew back a little her under lip caught between her teeth as was her habit when undue stress was laid upon her nerves her breath coming a trifle irregularly after all she was just a girl and he was a man big strong and perhaps brutal of whom she knew virtually nothing and they were very far from any other human beings he came straight on to the open door. As the lamplight fell upon him, her formless fear of a moment ago was swept up and engulfed in an access of terror which made her sick and dizzy. All of the time until now, even when appearances hinted at an inexplicable duplicity, she had felt safe with him trusting to what her natural instinct read of him in his eyes and carriage and voice and now she clutched at the mantle with one hand while in the other the lamp swayed precariously the reason for her agitation was plain enough had it been his sole purpose to strike terror into her heart he could hardly have selected a more efficient method Across the face, hiding it entirely, leaving only the eyes to glint through two rude slits at her, was a wide bandana handkerchief. The big black hat was drawn low now. The handkerchief, bound about the brow, fell to a point well below the base of his throat. "'Easy there,' he said in a voice which upon her ears was only a tense, evil whisper. "'Easy. You know what I want. Look out for that lamp. "'Making it dark in here, even settling the shack on fire, isn't going to help much. "'Easy, girlie. "'You—you—' you, she panted and found no word to go on. He came in and strode across the room taking the lamp from her and setting it on the mantel she had come near dropping it when his hand brushed hers again she drew back from him hastily her eyes running to the door but he forestalled her closed the door and stood in her way towering above her his air charged with menace you pretty thing he muttered his tone frankly sincere though his voice was still hardly more than a harsh whisper if i just had time to play with you i said you'd know what i want and don't get funny with the little toy pistol you'd be sure to have in your dress it won't do you any good you know that don't you she did know her hand had already gone into her bosom where the little toy pistol lay against that which she had vainly thought it could guard a thick envelope. The man came quite close to her, so close that she felt his breath stir her hair, so close that his slightly uplifted hand could come down upon her before she could stir an inch. You can tell Henry Pollard for me he jeered from the secure anticipation of his present triumph that the unknown stranger names him seven kinds of fool to think he could get across this way and sneak that little wad by me and by the by it's getting late and if you don't mind i'll take what's coming to me and move on then she found her tongue the fires blazed up in her eyes and a hot flush came into her pale cheeks. "'Big brute and cur and coward,' she flung at him. "'Woman fighter!' "'All of that,' he laughed insolently. "'And then some. And you, grey-eyed pink beauty? By God, girl, you'd make an armful for a man. Soon to be queen of dead man's alley, eh?' i'll see you there i'll come and pay my respects oh but i will coward that i am but now there take it take it oh she shuddered away from him her face went white again she grew cold with the fear upon her just then she cared infinitely little for the sheaf of banknotes in the yellow envelope which the banker had given to her she jerked the parcel out from her dress and tossed it to him her fingers fumbling with the button of the thin garment under which her heart was beating wildly and the little toy pistol she could have hurled from her too against this physical bigness against this insolent bravado and this swift sureness of eye and muscle she knew the small weapon would be a ridiculous and utterly insufficient plaything he caught the envelope and thumbed it tore off an end and glanced swiftly at the contents and then stowed it away inside his grey flannel shirt again his eyes came back to her i'm in a hurry he said swiftly BUT THERE'S ALWAYS TIME FOR A GIRL LIKE YOU." SHE HAD foreseen HOW IT WOULD BE. NOW THAT SHE STRUGGLED TO DRAW HER TINY REVOLVER AND FIRE, HE WAS UPON HER, HIS LONG ARMS ABOUT HER, HIS MUSCULAR STRENGTH MAKING HER OWN AS NOTHING. AND THOUGH HE WAS BREATHING MORE QUICKLY, STILL HE HAD HIS QUIET, INSOLENT LAUGH FOR STILL FURTHER INSULT though she sought to strike at him he held her in utter helplessness slowly he lifted her face a big hand under her chin the lamp was close by he blew down the chimney and save for the moonlight across the threshold it was dark in the cabin with his other hand he lifted his crude mask from the lower part of his face she sought again to strike, to batter his lips, but her heart sank as the relentless rigidity of his embrace baffled her attempt. He brought his face closer to hers, slowly closer, until at last she knew the outrage of a violent kiss. From outside came a little sound, not to be catalogued. It might have been only a dead twig snapping under the talons of a nightbird alighting in a big oak tree. But suddenly the arms about her relaxed. The man whirled and sprang back, whipped open the door, and silently was gone into the outer night. Moaning, swaying, dizzy and sick, she crouched in a far corner. Then she ran to the door and looked out. There was nothing moving to be seen anywhere. Just the white moonlight here, the black patches of shadow there, the somber wall of the forest land a few yards away. Her nausea of dread, her uncertainty, had passed. With never a glance behind her, she ran down toward the barn, she knew that she would be afraid to go into the black maw of the silent building for her horse and yet she knew that she must that she must mount and ride she had never until now known the terror of being alone utterly alone in the night and the wilderness suddenly she stopped to stare incredulously about a corner of the barn coming out into the bright moonlight, leading his own horse and her own, was Buck Thornton. She was so certain that he had gone. For the instant, she could not move, but stood powerless to lift a hand rooted to the spot. She noted that his face was unhidden now, his black hat pushed far back on his head, while from his hip pocket trailed the end of a handkerchief which may and may not have had slits let in it for his eyes to peer through you here yet she found herself stammering at him yes he answered heavily i have been all this time looking for the horses the corral was broken they had gotten out into the pasture "'A likely tale,' she cried with a sudden heat of passionate fury at the man and his cold manner, and his mad thought that she was fool enough to be beguiled from her knowledge of what he was. And then a fresh fear made her draw back and widened her eyes. She had not thought of madness, but, if the man were mad— But he was not mad, and she knew it his were the clear eyes of perfect sanity he was simply an unthinkable brute look she said as his horse moved nervously your horse does limp his answer came quickly and there was a queer note in his voice harsh and ugly which sent a shiver through her shaken nerves a man did that while we were in the cabin, with a knife. The moon shone full in his face. She had never seen such a transformation, such a semblance of quiet, cold rage. If the man were just acting... "'I've just got the hunch,' he said bluntly, "'that I know who he is, too. And for the last time, Winifred Waverly i am interfering in your business and advising you the best way i know how to turn back right here and right now and forget that you've got an uncle named pollard End of chapter nine